Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And today I'd like to talk to you about hope. To get started, we're going to be reading in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. There the Apostle Paul wrote these incredible words. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. To paraphrase Paul, he is essentially saying, yes, we have been saved, but everything involving our being saved has not yet been fully achieved. There is yet to come the resurrection of our bodies and the eternal home in heaven. That is what we hope for. Therefore, as Paul wrote, we are saved in hope. What we hope for, we do not yet see. Hope looks to the future, and yet, when the Bible speaks of our hope, it is talking about an earnest longing for or desire coupled with the expectation of realizing it. Thayer comments about hope in the following ways. Expectation of good, joyful and competent expectation of eternal salvation. Webster defines the verb form of hope as to long for with expectation of obtainment, to expect with desire trust, expect. Think about this. It is possible to desire what we do not expect to receive. Let me give you a simple illustration. Vicki and I will go to Best Buy or Costco, and I will inevitably find myself looking at those wonderful, large screen smart televisions and desire to have one. I even think about where I would put it in my house and have wondered if I'm smart enough to have a smart TV. However, I don't expect to have one of those beautiful large screen televisions. On the other hand, it is possible to expect what we do not desire. For example, I know when I go to the dentist to have work done, I know that he's going to give me at least one shot in my mouth. I fully expect to receive it, but I can honestly tell you that I do not earnestly desire it. But for the hope of the Christian, there is an earnest longing for, a looking to the future with a fervent expectation of receiving what is hoped for. Hope is faith pointed to the future. It's just the hope that keeps us going. In the truest sense, hope is a peculiar possession of the Christian and distinguishes us from the unbeliever. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul wrote these words. He said, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Have you ever heard of Voltaire? 
He was a great French playwright, thinker, philosopher, and a very noted infidel. As his life was coming to an end, he was reported to have said, and I quote, strike out a few sages, and the crowd of human beings is nothing but a horrible assemblage of unfortunate criminals, and the globe contains nothing but corpses. I tremble to have to complain once more of the being of being, and casting an attentive eye over this horrible picture. I wish I had never been born. The box of Pandora is the most beautiful fable of antiquity. Hope was at the bottom. Now just contrast that sentiment with the radiant joy Paul expressed even when chained to a Roman guard confined to his own rented home in Rome. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Later, near the end of his life, he wrote in 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 through 8 the following, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have been loved his appearing. What makes more sense? Does it make more sense to live our lives with the competent, compelling hope of the Christian, or the fear and despair of the unbeliever? that can cause one to say as they see the end approaching, I wish I had never been born. The hope of the Christian is not an idle dream meant to make life livable without any real basis to undergird it. I believe that the hope of the Christian is most reasonable. A farmer plows and plants in the hope of a harvest and that is reasonable. Well, let me tell you, when the evidence is considered, It is far more reasonable for the Christian to hope for that which he does not yet see. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter wrote, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account or a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. My friends, there is good reason for a Christian to hope. The Christian hopes because God cannot lie. Do you realize that the hope we have as faithful Christians is certain and as sure as the very character of God himself? In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 we read, In the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. What God has done in the past is the guarantee of his promise to the Christian. He said of man in the days of Noah, his day shall be 120 years. That was Genesis 6 and verse 3. Then came the flood. He said that the northern kingdom of Israel would be destroyed and carried away beyond the Euphrates River, and that is exactly what happened, being completed in 721 B.C. Through the prophets, God told of his son who was to come and gave many incredibly specific details concerning him. They all came to pass. Everything God promises comes to pass. There is not a single example or case in all of history where God failed to do what he said he would do. 
some of those promises being based upon conditions to be met. There has not been one promise that he has failed to keep. Therefore, it is reasonable to expect God to keep his promises to us, all of them. God cannot, indeed does not, lie. Most basically, we hope for our future home in heaven because Jesus rose from the dead. Don't you think that all of those who have hated and opposed Christianity over the last 2,000 years, that someone would be able to conclusively disprove the resurrection of Christ if it were possible to do so? There are numerous examples of those who started out to disprove it, only to end up believing. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 through 20, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. The idea of Jesus being firstfruits implies that there will be latter fruits. I'm reminded of an exchange that took place between Jesus and certain of the scribes and Pharisees recorded in Matthew chapter 12. In verses 38 and 39 we find, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. The sign of all signs was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That was the crowning victory that forever settled his claims to be the Son of God and that undergirds the hope that is ours. In Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we are told concerning his Son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. It is therefore far more reasonable to put our trust in the promises of him who has all authority in heaven and on earth than to place our trust elsewhere. Along the same line, the Christian hopes because of the assurances that were offered by the witnesses of the resurrection. My friend, men went to their graves dying because they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. They knew because they saw him, and they knew of the hope that awaits. Paul put it so simply in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, when he wrote the following, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as if were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Many of those men wrote of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Why would they have written of something that they knew was not true? Why would they die for hanging on to their hope? The answer is, it is true. It is real, and it is far more reasonable to believe in its reality than, in, than to fail to believe. So what does this hope that is the peculiar possession of the Christian do for us? Several things, actually. 
For instance, it protects us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul wrote, But since we have, since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. What does a helmet do? It is worn to protect the head. The head is the source of direction for the body. It is our intellectual center. Rob man of his hope, and you have robbed his life of meaning and deprived him of his noblest aspirations. Hope also serves to purify us. Consider 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Being constantly aware of the hope that is ours, being constantly aware of what we will receive, is an absolutely great deterrent from sin. One of the greatest avenues of escape God provides with temptation is to remember that, as a faithful child of God, we have a home awaiting us over there. The brilliance of a place where there is no sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's Revelation 21, verse 23. And that far outshines any of the glitter of the sins of this world. Hope also serves as a stabilizing force. Consider Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. We all know that anchors are used to stabilize ships, and just so we have an anchor in this world that keeps us from being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and which gives us confidence even in the midst of the turbulence of life. We know that our anchor is going to hold come what may. It is this hope that enables us to do what Peter exhorted us to do in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. He said, therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Finally, what are we hoping for? We are hoping for eternal life. Again, I am reminded of Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Life here is short at best, uncertain, and its thread is often fragile. Death is the common lot of us all. It makes us all long for a better existence where the threat of death does not exist. Well, it is out there. Admittedly, it is difficult for finite minds to grasp the sublimity of a vast expanse of unending joy and happiness unspeakable in the presence of the Lord. We are hoping for glory, not earthly glory or the praise of men. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, we are told, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, 
reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. On this earth, what is once new becomes old. Wood rots, paint peels, metal rusts. We are subject to corruption. But in heaven, nothing will ever rot or rust, ever fade or wear out, ever become old. We look for the glory of an inheritance incorruptible. On this earth, the clean becomes unclean. The spotless becomes stained and soiled. In heaven, there will be nothing unclean to defile or stain. We look for the glory of an inheritance undefiled. Here the most beautiful corsage withers and dies. We also fade. The glow in the cheeks of the young succumbs to the relentless passage of time, and it is replaced by the pallor of age. Youthful energy is replaced by aches and pains and the uncertain steps of the aged. But we look for the glory of heaven where nothing fades, and we hope to see Jesus. Again, John wrote in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. We have the earnest expectation of seeing the word of life, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the bright and morning star, the Savior, the Redeemer, the head of the church, the Alpha and the Omega, our high priest, our advocate, our mediator. We are going to be able to thank him forever for his grace, his mercy, and his love. This is the hope of the faithful Christian. Thank you for listening.